What's in your future? I talk with people all the time who are very concerned. It kind of sounds like this. When you study what's going on around the world and you watch world news and you see the WEF, the World Economic Forum, and their plans for global finances, as you look at what our prime minister and other prime ministers are doing to try to give you digital uh, control over where you are, where you're going, as they control our borders, as our freedoms are being erased, as we look at China and all that they are doing uh, behind the scenes, uh, espionage, etc., cetera, uh, and all these reports that are legitimate as you study out what is going on around the world. There is a massive contingency of Christians who just go, it's the end times. Um, you know, I mean, just get into the fetal position. We're about to be taken out. And I was raised that way in our denomination. Um, many of the people my age got saved watching end times Christian movies. And uh, you've been left behind. How many remember that movie, You've Been Left Behind? It scared the hell out of you, man. And uh, you went down to the front to give your life to Christ because you did not want to be left behind, get beheaded, uh, you know, and, and, all, and all the rest. And the sense, when many pastors did this, they, they wanted a sense of urgency. And so, in the, especially the uh, charismatic Pentecostal churches, it was blown up. That's all we could talk about or think about. It was fascinating. And the future is fascinating. And, uh, and I'm not here today actually to teach on the end times. I want to teach on the attitude uh, that has to do with the end times. And so many of my contemporaries who are pastoring and who are left pastoring um, will use the rapture, the end times, as your sense of urgency. And I have a huge problem with that. I believe that it raises... Um, Christians who are on spiritual birth control pills who sit around waiting for signs and using the news and trying to interpret it with the book of Revelation, which is absolutely not what God made it for. And so what's in your future? What do you do? Do we just sit breathlessly waiting uh, for whichever book you subscribe to as end times doctrine? And I've read them all, by the way, and I've read them in most denominations. Uh, Completely different beliefs from pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, no-trib, uh, millennial, no-millennial, um, et cetera, et cetera. Kingdom now, not kingdom now. There's just a ton of doctrines that are out there, and everybody subscribes to one. But when you take a look at the Word of God, there's incredible clarity on what we do. What is in our future? What should we be focused on? I remember reading in uh, the early, in the late 1970s, as, as I was in high school, uh, that, you know, Jesus was going to come in 82, then it was 84, then it was 88 reasons he was coming in 88, then it was absolutely 2000 because the entire world would be shut down by all the computers because the computers aren't going to handle a flip of date 
And uh, once they moved from 1999 to 2000, it was all going to change. And uh, that was going to usher in the return of the Lord. Then we had the meteors that would come by and the comets that would come by. And then we'd have a big earthquake and a big tsunami. And they'd say, well, our earthquakes are worse today than they ever were. Thinking we've actually tracked earthquakes past the last hundred years. Uh, I mean, just ridiculousness. I'm sorry, I'm going to just tell you straight. If I want to make money, all I got to do is write an end times book. If I want to pack this place out, do a two month series on the last days in the end times. And they will line up at the doors for itchy ears uh, to listen to what's going to happen with Russia and China and the world and the whore and the, and all these Bible words, the false prophet and the, you know, and you, you tie into that right now, like some of the guys I know and, and, and they prophesy so confidently, but they all missed the COVID thing. I wish the prophets would have caught that one. Um, so I have no confidence in much of what is executed as doctrine uh, in the world today. Uh, I met with two brilliant men with degrees who just talked to me extensively about this. And they said, well, what if he's coming back today? I said, if he comes back today, why would he leave me? I said, well, what if he doesn't come back for 200 years? What are you doing? Do you have a plan? And they both went silent. No plan. I said, I got a plan. And I'm working it. And 100 years today, as a whole new group is looking for satellites and meteors and Chinas and Russians and, and comets and earthquakes. And, uh, you know, if he doesn't come, I, this purpose is going to continue. And so I want you to understand today that, you know, I haven't done a teaching on end times doctrine and uh, because I just feel like it's majoring in the minors. And because the word of God is not complete, the Baptist theologians don't agree with the Pentecostal theologians who don't agree with the word of faith theologians who don't agree uh, with the Wesleyan theologians who don't agree with the anti-Nicene fathers 300 years after Christ who don't agree. like. So why would I get up, as I know, when he comes, he comes. And I'm not worried about being left behind because I've got a focus. I've got a purpose. And that's what I want to tie into a little bit today because I'm meeting fearful Christians, just fearful, who don't have a clue what to do. And so let's just wade into that a little bit. Do we build something down here? Do we build nothing down here? Do we do what, a, what some people did years ago was they said, Jesus is coming back right away. I'm going to get in debt as far as I can, enjoy whatever I can, because I won't even be here to pay off the debt. They're still paying off their debt and some went bankrupt. Um, so what do we build? Well, the Bible's got verses that, that tend to go to, to both degrees. Like when you go to Luke chapter 12, in verse 15 to 21, there's about a rich man there in verse 15 to 21. And he says, I've got so much money, my barns are full. I'm going to pull down these barns and I'm going to build bigger barns. And I'm going to say to my soul, he's talking to himself, live, eat, drink, be merry. You're rich. God says, you fool. Not too often God calls somebody a fool. He says, you fool. Tonight you die and your soul is expected of you. And so Jesus is teaching this himself. And he says in verse 21, he who lays up treasure for himself, this is what he's like when he's not rich towards God. It's not talking here about having money is a sin. He's saying if you lay up treasure for yourself on this planet, 
Now that word treasure, pick your treasure. Maybe you love buildings, maybe you like money, building organizations, structures, whatever your giftedness takes you to. It says laying up any kind of treasure, any kind of thing for the future, not being rich towards God, you a fool. Then in Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 31, we've got Jesus and this Rich young ruler comes and kneels down in front of him and says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus begins the story. I just tell the story because it will take me too, too much time to read through it all. And you need to write it down. You need to check out everything I say. Always. Uh, get used to running, reading your own Bibles. But Jesus talks to him about don't commit murder. You know the commandments. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, Teacher, these things I've done from my youth. Then Jesus looked at him, loved him, and said to him, One thing you lack, go sell whatever you have. Sell it all. Give it to the poor. See, Jesus doesn't like rich people. Joking. Okay. But that's what people take from this. Now, when he called the other twelve, he did not say to any of them to sell what they had. They still had their houses. Peter still had two boats. Um, he, not, he did not tell any of them, go sell everything and come follow me. But he did tell this young man to sell everything and follow me. And then he said something interesting. And you're going to have treasure in heaven. All right. So is, right here we have people saying, well, see, you don't build anything down here. You just love Jesus and put treasure in heaven. And then Jesus said to him, take up your cross and come follow me. Now, many people have looked at that because Jesus said, follow me, come follow me to 12 other people. And some think this would be a great replacement for Judas, who was about to, uh, you know, turn on Jesus and sell him out for 30 pieces of silver. And this would have been a perfect guy to manage the finances because just what Judas did nonstop was to handle the finances of Jesus. Uh, he, Jesus had a full-time economics guy, a CFO, who the money coming in, and we knew money come in because money was coming in uh, from the wealthy, the royals, uh, from people around, and so Judas would look after the money. And when he was gone, they didn't think anything of it. They thought he was just out giving to the poor at times. And one time when they asked how much money we have, Jesus said to feed uh, this many people. They said, we've got enough money for meat one time. Well, I don't know how much money you keep on yourself. It'll feed 4,000 people today. Uh, etc. So this would have been a good replacement for Judas. Uh, But he was sad at this word, and he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Not just a little, he had great possessions. When Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his word. Why were they astonished? Because they were Jews. Jews believed that if you prospered, it was the favor and the blessing of God. And it was uh, in, in Israel and amongst the Jews. It's the favor and the and they firmly believed it. So they're astonished that Jesus is bringing this up. And so then Jesus answered again, and this is Jesus talking, and he says, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It'd be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Whoa! So this really, uh, and other verses, really brought 
this doctrine of poverty amongst the churches, that if you're rich, if you have money, if you want money, if you want to make money, that you're in sin and uh, that you are wrong to have it. You're wrong to desire it. You're wrong to go after it. But they don't read these things in context because it says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, who can be saved then? Because they all considered themselves prosperous and wealthy, and they knew that that was the favor and the blessing of God, and that much of the promises of God, there are more promises for prosperity than there are for healing in the Bible. And so they asked Jesus, well, who can be saved then? Jesus looked at them and said, with men it is impossible. Isn't that interesting? It is impossible to keep yourself focused on him in the area of finances and success. But he says, but with God, all things are possible. I was just studying this earlier this morning, and I thought, what a crazy thought that this promise with God, all things are possible, is to rich people. You guys are just like... Should I say amen or should I go, oh, no? He's talking about who can be saved. If, if it's hard for a rich man to go through the, uh, to, to get to heaven and it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to go to heaven or to the kingdom of God. And, and they said, what? And then, God's, and then Jesus says, it's possible, but with God. So when we look at our lives today and we look around the world affairs and we see so many things moving towards world management. And we're going to need some form of world management. I'm, I'm glad the nukes are managed. Hello. I'm glad that, you know, there are some countries. And, and by the way, we need a strong America. So don't go cursing our, our big brother there. We need a strong America. Be praying for them. So we're living in a world where... What do we build? Do we just hang in there and, and just read the red, pray for power, go to church, keep our head down, don't say anything, don't speak up, don't vote, uh, don't get on, uh, because you know you're gonna, you're gonna have, the woke crew are gonna come after you. Like, it's just an amazing thing as I speak with pastors who are huddled down with their heads down, don't wanna say anything, don't wanna do anything, let's hope we don't get picked on. And, and I just picked the opposite road. You know me, two years ago, that's heads up and let's speak truth, let's look for truth. Uh, we're, we're Christians, but we're not dumb. So Jesus is talking to his disciples. They're having this brain stall at his teaching. So Peter then looks at Jesus, representing the 12, and he says, so we've left everything to follow you. Jesus answered and said, assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left houses, brothers, sisters, fathers, mothers, wives, children, or lands for my sake and the gospel's who shall not receive 100-fold return now in this lifetime. Okay, just stop right there. Everybody reads by this so quick. This is words of Jesus, words in red. Whatever you feel like you sacrificed to pursue Christ. Well, I go to church on Sunday, but I could have been at the beach with my kids. 
Yeah, I think your kids might be better one morning in Sunday school with a real love for Jesus Christ. Um, but whatever you've given up, and it doesn't just say relationships, brothers, sisters, mothers, children. It says houses and lands. So then he says, whatever you give towards the purpose of God's kingdom, whatever you build your life on with the purpose to God for God's kingdom, he said, you're going to receive a hundredfold now in this lifetime. Now you say, well, this is just some, another big prosperity scripture. Absolutely. People have often asked me, not much anymore, but years ago, they say, are you a prosperity and healing church? And I would facetiously say back to them, oh, no, we teach poverty and sickness. <laughs> Religion is something that I hate. Jesus, when he came, came to end all religion. He came, and, he, and some people think he was talking just to the Jews when he would tell the Pharisees and scribes things like, you're like whitewashed coffins, you look good on the outside, but on the inside it's disgusting. And when you make a disciple, he's a way bigger follower of the devil than you are. I mean, he wasn't talking to the specific Jewish religion. He was talking to all religion. All religion. And some people will look at the Bible, and we're going to, I don't know what I'm going to get through today, we'll see. But Jesus, he came, and he had this message. And this message was to end religion. The Jewish religion as it was, was ended by 70 AD, as the Romans came in and destroyed the temple block by block, and it has never been rebuilt for them to be able to sacrifice and to continue uh, that. All religions he came, and he came to end them, because religion is a managed way to follow Christ. And so you do this. Uh, we give, you get a gold star for attendance, a gold star for your kids' attendance, a gold star for um, volunteering, a gold star for listening to the parking guys when they parked your car. And, uh, and so you are really earning God's favor now. See, that's what religion is. It's any kind of man-made structural institutional uh, rules that would be to help you earn favor with God because it's impossible. You can't earn enough to get a, you, you, you can't earn enough merit with God to get rid of a headache or a hemorrhoid. You have to fully lean on Jesus. Okay? He qualifies you. It, he is the one. And so we have faith in the grace of God, the ability of God. And so even this church, if you're not careful, it can become to you for one person. If I go, 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 God's, God's going to look after me because I'm going to church. No, no, you, you got the cart before the horse. I don't get up here and preach because I'm trying to earn favor with God. I just fell in love with Jesus, have a relationship with Jesus. And he said, take my yoke upon you. And so he wasn't saying, take my hammock. He wasn't saying, take my bed, take my couch. He wasn't saying, you know, take my cabin at the beach, although I have no problem with all the above. He said, take my yoke. A yoke is something, and there's a couple meanings here, but one of the meanings is to yoke two people together so that they work and they share the workload. And so he's not saying, 
follow me like people in the extreme grace area where do nothing and God will look after you. No, Jesus is saying, you and me are going to work together. You're going to be yoked to me uh, as a teacher and his philosophy of teaching is another word that it means, but it means yoked to him. So that means we're going to work, but it's going to be creative and exciting and it's going to be doing something and going somewhere. And it's ex- as you begin to use the gifts that God's placed in it, that's got time commitments on them, that it, it, this is going to just, as you continue to follow Christ, things are going to come out of you that are going to help him advance his kingdom. We don't build churches as in buildings, because that's not the church. We We don't build everything we've done here at Springs and then try to convince everybody to come here, give here, serve here, attend here, because then you're going to earn favor with God. Oh, no, we've got favor with God through Jesus. But then as we yoke to Jesus, he's building his church. Someone said to me, I don't like organized religion. I said, gotcha, man. I said, but I don't like disorganized religion either. Don't like religion, period. I want a relationship with Jesus, a real living relationship with Christ. And then I want to get together with a whole bunch of like-minded people. And we want to pool our money and our talent and get our kids together and, and raise them up. That's what the disciples did. Someone said, well, you know, local churches are not needed. The universal church is what's important. Well, then the disciples must have really misunderstood Jesus after three and a half years of teaching because they went out and planted local churches in all the cities across the countries and they put pastors in charge. They were doing what we're doing. Okay, so what do we do in these times that we're living in? Do we build down here? Do we just wait and say, no, we're gonna, we're gonna build when we get to heaven? No, it says here is a hundredfold return in this lifetime. Well, okay, God thinks things through. Would you agree? He thinks things through. So why is he giving you a hundredfold return? If the real retirement plan is in heaven, far greater than the Bahamas, far greater than wherever you want to go. So what do we need this for? The advancing of the kingdom. Jeremiah 29, 11. It says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future, to give you a hope. Then you'll call upon me and go and pray to me, and I'm going to listen to you. You'll seek and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Some always say the hope of the believer is only heaven, that you know that our purpose is heaven. Abraham looked for a city whose builder and maker was God, and those are all accurate verses. But they tend to create this malaise in the body of Christ that just says, in the sweet by and by, you know, I got a cabin down here, but one day in the sweet by, I'll have a mansion. And so we look foolishly at people who are building anything big and structural and, and, and you know, and with systems and management because what are you doing that for? When Jesus comes back, it's all going to disappear. And, and, and they just have this laziness and this malaise, this do nothing mentality that really bothers me because I feel the opposite. When I see the teachings of Jesus, like the master coming and giving talents to all 10 of his servants, and then it says he leaves, and as he leaves, and this is looking at Jesus, he says, occupy till I come. Now, the word occupy means to trade, do business, use your gifts, your abilities, where you are. This occupying means you've been given gifts, you've been given abilities. What are you going to do with them in heaven? You don't even need to raise up a business in heaven. Why, the streets are paved with gold. Are you kidding me? What are you going to do for business there? 
This business gift is for here. This oratory gift is for here. Your ability to reach out and love people. If you've taken the disc system, I love the different kinds of personalities. And then you've got gifts on top of that. So we've been given all of these gifts and all of these abilities to use down here. Because down here is where the decisions are going to be made as to who spends eternity with Christ and who the enemy takes with them. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. We're going to make a t-shirt, I think. And it just put a cool Jesus on it to seek and save that which was lost. You know, military, search and destroy. Jesus, seek and save. (laughs) Heaven is real. Heaven is fantastic. Hebrews 11, verses 8, talks about the city which has foundations, which the builder and the maker is God. Hebrews 12 talks about the city of the living God. If you think, I I, I literally grew up in a denomination where I was taught by some of the teachers that cities are evil, but small towns are better. And I believe that. I knew I would never pastor in a city. Cities are evil. (laughs) Then I found out what was going on in the back alleys and the farmyards of small towns. There's not much difference. And I thought, that's interesting because the Bible starts in a garden, but it ends in a city. (laughs) Okay, I thought it was a good point. Revelations 21, John is saying, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no more sea. Then I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. From God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, no sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. See, right now, I don't remember my great-grandpa, but I remember my grandpa. It was my dad's dad. He had a ranch and a logging operation, and he put me on his lap with that big DC-9 cat pushing down trees. And, and, you know, and I remember him just hugging me with one hand and me hanging on to him while he was operating this cat. And he'd drive, you know, he'd push these trees, and the cat would go up the tree a little bit, and then, not, and then just boom as the weight. And, and it was just, I was so in awe of my grandpa. And as he got older and a little sickly, and he turned gray, and he passed away. And, and my dad's up there. And, and I remember my dad and all that he's taught me and, and all that I know, the character and the honor and the integrity, you know, is what I'll always remember the teaching from my dad on, uh, you know, to, to love, to laugh, to serve Jesus. And, and that's where he is right now. And uh, one day I'm going to be there and I'm going to pass the baton to all your kids and my kids and say, you're going to do it better than we ever did it. And you're going to stand on our shoulders and, and build this kingdom of God down here until you get to go to the place called heaven. And when I go to heaven, it's going to be an interesting thing. My grandpa is going to look like a young man. My dad's going to look like a young man. My grandma's going to look like a young woman because there's no age up there. So us three all good looking guys who that was my grandpa, my father and me, we're going to hang out for eternity. 
And I look down, I look at all my kids and their husbands and wives and grandkids. What an amazing, stunning, beautiful thing that we will spend eternity together just trying to plumb the depths of the variety of God, which you'll never come to an end because God is so magnificent and wonderful. So am I knocking heaven? Are you kidding me? Everything I'm doing is to see how many people I can get there. But let's go on. And he who sat on, and God will wipe away tears from their eyes. There'll be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. No more pain. The former things have passed away. And he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are faithful and true. Talking to John. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I'll be his God, and he shall be my son. About 40 messages in that verse right there. He who overcomes. This is a faith life, believing in the grace and the finished work of the cross. But anyway, but the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone which is the second death. This verse is what gives us our marching orders. We want to limit as much as we can people who go into eternity who have not made a decision for Christ. Someone said to me, you know, people who are still legalistic, you know, they don't understand grace. You see, if you lie, you go to hell. If you're unbelieving, you go to hell. Stop, 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 stop. You can't take one verse out of context and just preach away. He's talking here to the unbelievers who did not believe on Christ. That is the sin that sends people to an eternity, is that unless your spirit man is reborn, he couldn't exist in heaven if it wanted to. Did you know that nobody went to heaven until Jesus died? He had to go to hell to the place of Abraham's bosom where Adam and Eve and Joshua and Moses and all the Old Testament uh, people who had covered their sins with the blood of bulls and goats were in a place of waiting. Jesus went there, and then he took captivity captive. He, he led them into heaven with one incredible, amazing parade of Old Testament saints who now could be born again and choose Christ. And so they could exist in the presence of God with reborn spirits. That's like saying, well, you can't get an ice cube to, to last in a fire. Exactly. If your heart's not reborn, if you're not born again, if the work of Holy Spirit to come in and wash that spirit out and put his presence and put himself inside of you, you'd never be able to even get close to God, let alone be in heaven. So it's not even an issue of God just going, get out of here. No, Satan comes and takes what's his, and we need to share the gospel of Jesus with this world. Let's not be um, taken aside by people who, who would try to, you know, make fun of us or laugh at us. Over the last three decades of pastoring here at Springs Church, I have seen people rise up to incredible success in different areas. Some of them are MPs and governments and multimillionaires. I've lost count of how many have built successful organizations and businesses. And, and the list just goes on. Arts, entertainment, healthcare, uh, government, etc. But then there's a lot who just got kind of a little swelled up with their own success. 
And the Bible's got a really interesting scripture in it. It teaches us that we are not to seek after money as our purpose in life. And that when we do, in Luke 12, 15, he says, Take heed and beware of covetousness. Take heed and beware. He didn't say take heed and beware of having. It's the covetousness. Now, covetousness is this immoderate desire for wealth. This greedy longing to have money, position, buildings, influence, whatever it is that just turns your crank, that makes you go for it with your entire life. And one day when you're old, you look back and go, here I am, I'm retired, and and nobody cares. When we were doing the Leon show, and I was interviewing people who wrote books, and so many of the great uh, companies that would uh, published books, would send the writers here, and we would interview them. And so I interviewed two women, beautiful ladies in their 50s, who were anchors in major networks across the states. And both were absolutely shocked that when they resigned from the position of being that beautiful woman sitting at the desk across the nation, and they were World, you'd know their names by mentioning their names, but that, and, and every day they would share the news. One said, I gave up kids and family for this passion in my career. Another had gone through marriages, but she was going to hang on to this as my gifting, this is my calling. And then it's the time when they resigned. And one of them said to me, and both had the same stories, you know, about a couple weeks after I resigned from my position, I phoned all the other girls that we were kind of our own little huddle of friends across the nation. We'd fly together with all of our money and time. We'd hang out and party together, go on vacations together. And she goes, not one would answer my phone call because I was no longer anyone of importance or influence. No one they needed to hang out with because it wouldn't do any good for them. And all my life, I thought I had friends. And I've built my life on this, and I have nothing. The deceitfulness of riches isn't riches, it's the problem. It's the deceitfulness that you just need more. Go after more. It's never going to be enough. Your company's going to need more, more buildings, more. And you just begin to churn away. And this ability to say, I'm here in my lifetime to use all my gifts in business, in finance, healthcare, wherever you are, and you're called to succeed. God didn't put gifts in you and say, you got good gifts, but you're going to fail. <laughs> Try hard. You're never going to be successful because I don't like success, but I'll put the gifts in you to be successful, but it's wrong to have it. It's just stupid religion. So what's in our future? Well, we live in a kingdom in both worlds. The kingdom of God is here with us. And the kingdom of God is also in heaven. Our job down here is to help Jesus to seek and to save that which was lost. Through your gifts, your abilities, your neighbors, your job, your career, wherever you go. And to build and to raise up local groups of people called His church, like we are doing. So organized religion can't stand it. But organized people who love Jesus who just want to follow him and help build his church and reach out wherever they are, I'm totally into that. So I pray that in the seasons that are ahead, that you'd look ahead with such confidence because Jesus makes a way where there is no way. 
He's not abandoning you. He didn't take us this far to leave us. He's not going to say, I'll help you with the sick, but not with your government. I'll help you with your church, but not with your health care. I'll help you with the systems of looking after children, but I'm not going to help you with the systems of running a country. I'll help you find right leaders in the church, but I won't help you find the right leaders for government. Like, what's wrong with church people today that they get upset that a pastor will talk about things? The Old Testament talks about nations and leadership and systems and structures and what makes a nation prosper, what makes a king prosper, a leader. It's nonstop. So stay excited. Okay, this is where you can smile. <laughs> Nudge the person beside you. The future's bright. It's amazing. We're going to get up and do amazing things for God. Amen. Father, I thank you for your presence today. I pray that you touch each of us. Father, from that business person, moms, dads, grandpas, grandmas, for those that have wealth and position and influence, to those who don't know if they should go for it, Father, raise us all up to be everything we can be for you with the gifts and abilities we have down here, knowing that everything we do has heavenly and eternal consequences, both good and bad. Help us to seek and save the beautiful people that are lost. Pray then your wonderful name. And everybody in agreement said, Amen, amen and Amen.